welcome to the Delic Pod with me, James Delicor. And I'm very excited about this guest. I know I always say this, but I am. He was great the first time I had him on the podcast. And so much has happened in that short space of time. Welcome back to the Delling Pod, Simon Dolan. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, James. Very good. Very good indeed. You, I mean, since we last spoke, you have become, I think, well, you ought to be a national hero. Uh, you probably haven't been a national hero because our media doesn't really want to tell your side of the story as much as it should. But you were partly responsible, weren't you, for knocking some sense into the British government regarding this this crazy COVID lockdown? Well, <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to think we were wholly responsible, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, right. I, I, think it's, I think it's accurate and fair to say that if, if I'd not started the judicial review, then we never would have seen the SAGE minutes um, because they released theirs yes. after we pushed them. Um, and there was some interesting stuff in there. And then, of course, we had the, uh, we had the win last, last week or the week before, um, which was about the schools. So we pushed and pushed and pushed on the schools point. And then the government came back and said, well, we don't know what you're talking about. We never closed the schools. And it's, what? <laughs> you did? We've got video of you. We've got you and Boris saying we're closing the schools, Gary Williamson saying we're closing the schools. We've got, you know, you saying when we reopen schools. And, and in, the, uh, in their defence, the, the, you know, the legal defence, they, they actually accused us of being absurd. That was a word they used, absurd, that you should say that the uh, schools were closed. And I think it was at that point yes. when, you know, it was, um, it's almost like going in the twilight zone, you know, you think, I, I, well, I didn't see that coming. I don't think anybody did, you know. Um, so it's been a busy few weeks and uh, on the whole, a successful few weeks, I think, for the, for the legal process. Yeah, what you say is so true that the government and the the kind of agencies of government, the, the well, I mean, I'd call them the deep state in a way. They have been shameless, haven't they? I mean, that that that, that example you gave is 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 fantastic. That they claimed that they hadn't shut the schools on the legalistic grounds that schools remained open for, for what about 10 percent of the population for the, for the children of key workers is that was that their excuse yeah that was the excuse um and that was why they said well it was, it was absurd that you said that they were closed but of course yeah i think they admitted or they said that the figure was 10 percent. but of course that would have been 10 percent if everybody had gone but you can't run a school when there's only 10% of kids coming. So there was a, I spoke to a few you know, head teachers and stuff, and there was a dribble of kids coming through, and they're not getting any kind of education. So, uh, yeah, it's like you say, it's, um, I think the deep state probably works a bit deeper than we see, but on, on the surface, you can see that if they're offering up that defence, then they're obviously on very shaky ground, or they think that they're on very shaky ground um on the uh, on the more substantive case which is a good thing um a good thing for the case uh, and then of course the you know the next step they've been dragging their heels and and asking and being given for as much time as they possibly can and the reason that they're doing that is because one of their another one of their defenses which is a technical one is to say that it's, it's an academic defense so what that means is is that they're we're going to court over something which no longer exists. 
So if the full judicial review comes, let's say, the third week in July, they can go to court yep. and say, well, everything's open now. We don't need a judicial review. Um, well, of course, we've got a good defense to that, which is the judicial review might be the um, uh, the lockdown might be over, but we've still got all the effects of the lockdown and actually the legislation still stays on the books. So, um, yeah, they, they are trying everything in the book. So evidently they believe that they have a very poor case. What what are you trying to achieve now with your judicial review? I mean, obviously you, you've moved, you've shifted the Overton window, the debate. You've got them, you've got them slightly on the back foot. I mean, as you say, if it hadn't been for your initial legal action, we'd probably even now be in the dark about the scientific rationale. Is this right? That that when they tell us that they've been following the science, we would have had no way of checking what that scientific advice was. Is that, that's a fair analysis, isn't it? That we, we'd have been completely in the dark if it hadn't been for your JR. They're absolutely accurate because they said at the outset they wouldn't release the Sage Minutes until it was all over. So wow. now they have, you know, so absolutely. Um, and now what, what's really interesting, actually, they, they've just in the last minutes that they released, which were uh, just a few days ago, um, they put notice in there that they're going to start a I think it's called the Joint Biohazard Division or something like that, which will replace SAGE. So SAGE is not, not only Ferguson going under the bus, but the whole of SAGE is going under the bus. And someone sort of analysed this a little bit, and it looks like whilst SAGE was an external committee, Joint Biohazards is going to be an internal government thing, and then they're not subject to the same transparency rules. Right. Make of that what you will. Uh, it makes me feel really good as a taxpayer and somebody who who used to live in a country which was well ordered and and one of the countries that we were supposed to admire as being the envy of the world and suddenly we find that they're behaving like some secretive banana republic if you're allowed to use that phrase you're probably not anymore it it, it strikes me as extraordinary and particularly extraordinary coming from a a, a notionally conservative government has that taken you by surprise because I, mean, I think like me you're a natural conservative with a small c if not a big c mm. yeah not not a little bit disappointed perhaps not entirely surprised um but not a little yeah. bit disappointed yeah. you know would would corbyn have done any worse this this is the one thing that i couldn't actually have imagined myself saying and i don't think corbyn would have done any worse which is an absurd thing to say, you know, utterly absurd. When I last spoke to you, in fact, I would have yeah. agreed, you know, Britain is one of the, you know, one, probably one of the best countries in the world to live for all its faults um, yeah. in a stable government. And I actually felt at the time that Britain was probably the best place, the best place country in Europe to come out of this reasonably well. And now I think we'll probably come out of it really badly, you know, really, really badly. Uh, in fact, I struggle to see a way out of it in the near future. Um, and I think most economists are, are looking at that. You know, first of all, it's going to be a, a V-shaped recovery and then it's going to be a W-shaped recovery. Um, you know, whether that second blip up ever comes, I don't know, you, you could be in a situation like Japan where it just flatlines for the next knock picky the somebody, is, somebody annoying is waving at the door. Go and knock on the door. Right, OK, well, that's fine then. Bloody hell. Annoying. Um, so <laughs> that's distracting me. Have you have you you personally being 
been poring over the Sage Minutes. I can't say I have, but but one of the stories that seems to have emerged, which is quite unexpected, I think, that actually at no stage, at least as far as the records show, did any of these Sage people say you must impose the lockdown. Even even I think Neil Ferguson did not say that a lockdown was necessary. So in other words, this is government generated, not science generated. Is that what you found? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I couldn't see. I mean, bear in mind, there's 50 people on that committee and about half of them are behavioural yeah, yeah. psychologists um, who have got yeah. nothing to do with, uh, you know, the, the, the science of this. But yeah, I, I think a lot of them basically said that the lock, a lockdown, because of course it's never been done before, um, a lockdown was unnecessary. And yet, as you say, they just went ahead and did it anyway. Um, but what's interesting now is, is that, you know, there's quite a few members of SAGE saying that they're releasing the lockdown too early. Well, what's changed then? It, if yeah. you didn't recommend it before, why are you recommending it now? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is what happens, I think, when you have 50 people having input into a decision. It's, it's a committee. Yes. Isn't it? it's, committees don't build anything. Yes. Lots of things have been worried, worrying me about the, yeah, as you say, there are lots and lots of different scientists on the committee. So they've got lots of different cover that I mean, you're going to get as many opinions as there are, are people probably. Um, but one of the things I've noticed, I don't know whether this has disturbed you as well. And actually the excellent Sherelle Jacobs made this point in her, in her telegraph column today, which is the narrative seems to have taken hold and is being very, very heavily promoted by the chief um, scientist, uh, chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, that we cannot return to normal until a vaccine appears. Now, I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. I mean, apart from the, the Bill Gates inflicting his kind of experiments on you element of it, it's just like what it's saying is we cannot get our economy back until the possibly unlikely event um, of a vaccine, a safe vaccine being trialled, which certainly won't be this year and possibly not ever. How does that, that make you feel as, a, as, a, as a, somebody who wants to do business in the UK? Suspicious. Because they know that it takes, well, it's eight to 10 years to get a decent vaccine, isn't it? And the last vaccine that the government rushed out, I think it was for um, SARS, they paid 60 people a million dollars or a million pounds each in, in damages because it ruined their lives, basically, when they gave them this, this vaccine. Um, and subsequent to doing that, they changed the legislation that says that there will be no payouts in the event of a pandemic. This is all, you know, this is all in legislation. Um, what? So no, 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 no payouts to whom um, on the basis of what? If it, you so, mean if, about, if there's a vaccine that goes wrong? Yeah, if there's a vaccine that goes wrong and you're damaged by it, then they usually yeah. compensate to a million quid. Um, and now they've taken away the, the uh, taken away the necessity for them to give you a damages payout if uh, there's a pandemic. And this has been labelled a pandemic, even though it hasn't been a pandemic for what since March, I think, maybe April. Yes, yes. So you must have look. I, I mean, one of the pleasures of of doing this um, this judicial review must be that you've had an inside track. You, you must have had, had deep throats and stuff 
telling you stuff that you wouldn't otherwise have learned. I mean, do, do you get do you get the vibe that there is a resistance within the government or the administrative state at all, or are they all going along with this tripe? There's a few. There's a few. But how many? How many MPs are there? Six hundred and fifty. How many of them spoken out against it? None. As far as I can see, there there was a couple. I mean, David Davis, Steve Steve Baker, but they've gone very quiet. I mean, they started off being a little bit, um, you know, sort of spunky about it, and then uh, they've just been battered. And whether they've been battered by the whip or whatever, I don't know. But none of, none of them are speaking out about it. And then you've got the Labour lot that are saying, well, you know, you're risking lives by opening up the economy too soon. There was, um, I forget his name, one of the lower echelon uh, MPs. Why are you, why are you um, endangering people's lives by opening up too early? Mm. And, and you think, well, no Conservatives are standing up against it. Nobody. You know, I put a tweet out the other day. It said, you know, if there's any MPs anywhere that, you know, don't agree with this. Can you give me a shout? And there's not been one. No, nobody at all. So uh, that worries me. Yes. Every journalist I've spoken to, literally every journalist I've spoken to recognises that it's an absolutely awful idea and they have to get lockdown finished. Every single one. From Breitbart to The Guardian to the BBC, absolutely nothing absolutely nothing about it it's all basically government propaganda and i i never realized that they they actually were a propaganda arm of the government you hear you hear stories about it but i never realized they actually were and now categorically i know that they are yes those of us who who, who've been saying this for years have been dismissed as tinfoil hat nutcases that of course the bbc isn't a propaganda on you know it's, it's obliged by its charter to to be fair and balanced isn't quite the phrase that's that's fox but nevertheless that's the principle these these sort of rethian principles which is supposed to give equal space to all points of view well as you know toby young is currently um launching a, 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 a judicial review of his own i think against ofcom uh asking them why they seem to have prevented our broadcast media from from giving the viewpoints of people like you and me and and all those sceptical scientists, Dr. John Lee or whoever, who don't buy into this this lockdown um, Nazism. Yeah. I think what brought it home to me was there was uh, obviously the uh, Brexit Judicial Review with Gina Miller. So if you do a search on the BBC News site, type Gina Miller and there are 150 plus articles about Gina Miller in the Brexit case. If you type in uh, my name, there's nothing related to the judicial review at all, not one single article. Now, that's not because it's not equally important. You know, I would argue it's massively more important, bearing in mind what's happened. So that really brought home to me, really, really brought home to me. You know, we've been featured everywhere other than the BBC. So that can't be a coincidence. That has to be a policy decision. Well, who feeds that? It has to be the government. And I'll tell you the other thing that gave it away was in the um, quarantine rules, the other ridiculous thing that they announced, there were some exceptions about people who weren't obliged to do the quarantine. There's a specific exemption for BBC employees. Why? Right. <laughs> not Sky. Because they're agents. Yeah, not, not the daily, not the daily tele- no, Nobody else, just BBC. So you think that's a bit obvious. 
who cares now you know if they're going to lie and say no we never said we closed schools yeah they can just they're basically saying anything aren't they even though yesterday they said a completely different story so you know uh, yeah well you you mentioned the double standards about brexit i mean i i if if the remain you and i both both rooted for brexit um but if the remainers had any kind of credible case it was surely that the economic damage that would be done to britain as a result of leaving the eu would be would would not make it worthwhile and yet here we are suffering economic damage of an order of magnitude worse than anything even the most hysterical remainers predicted and suddenly just like um tumbleweed no one seems to no one on the on the on the, on the sort of government supporting side of the argument seems to be bothered by this economic damage uh, do, do you know how much uh, you must be keeping tabs on what's where we're going uh, in, in terms of how far over the economic cliff what's the what's the current thinking on how much we're going to we're going to lose uh i think it's 400 billion isn't it but that's kind of what's been spent so far that doesn't take into account the fact that 7 million people will be unemployed by christmas it doesn't take into account the enormous damage to tax receipts so they're going to be running at a deficit now forever and there's not going to be new jobs created why would you the whole industries have been destroyed it's difficult to think what we're going to do in england that's going to create a new industry and now the government are now going on about bloody um you know green revolution that really terrifies yes. <laughs> I know. so much money going to go down the drain and it, it's going to create jobs what what jobs is it going to create you know how many research scientists that are expert in creating uh, energy you know green energy how many of them are actually unemployed at the moment none so how are these going to create jobs what are people going to be doing you know it's it's a nonsense it's taken straight out of the bloody um cortez's playbook or bernie sanders playbook in the states you know print a load of money we can reset the world and we can all be sitting in some socialist utopia which will probably work just as well as that chaz place or whatever it's called in seattle that collapsed after two weeks or three weeks of them governing themselves which uh, did make me laugh i don't think we should just do yeah. that let all the socialists have all their little bit of land let them farm it themselves and uh, you know look after themselves and don't worry about there's no uh, you know police or ambulances allowed in but uh, didn't work well with it so uh, ben, ben Shapiro I, said uh, that it lasted longer than most socialist countries <laughs> <laughs> yes on the subject of green green jobs i don't know whether you've come across the research of a, a spanish economist called gabriel calzada alvarez at the University of uh, Rey Carlos in Madrid, and he did a study which worked out that for every green job created by government investment, i.e., you know, taxpayer spending, um, 2.2 jobs were lost. I think it was 2.2. It could have been more. Were lost in the real economy. So you're 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 killing over two real jobs for every Potemkin fake job that you create with this taxpayer funded boondoggle for crony capitalists and it, it i it's it horrifies me as it horrifies it clearly horrifies you that this is this is the best boris has got yeah yeah only a government could do that only a government could convert you know two jobs into one job 
by spending money. That, that really takes some doing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually given up reading the paper in the morning because it infuriates me so much that, that even right-wing newspapers have gone left-wing. But, but my wife reads me little bits of... And, and she was reading, reading out to me today some of the measures that, <clears throat> that are being introduced in this, this supposedly post-lockdown world. So apparently we are not allowed to talk to the barman um you, you can't sit at the bar and chat to the barman when we go to these go to these pubs um there are uh, just just crazy crazy bits of micro managing i mean they've relaxed the two meter rule but it's now kind of one meter plus and the, and the plus is mitigating factors like having your having your your face mask which we know is ineffective and it's like living in a parallel universe where Everyone behaves by these strange arbitrary rules which have nothing to do with science or, or empiricism or anything else. Uh, and you're about the only guy fighting this. I mean, or one of the few. Yeah, that surprises me. I'm really surprised, actually, that no one from, from business has, has joined or done something. It, it, well, there's Luke, Luke Johnson. Who else is there? Yeah, but there's not actually, it's a little bit like um, assumption, you know. There's a few people that have written about it, but no one's actually really doing anything. Um, yeah, there, there are a few, but I don't know why. What it should be is trade bodies. Trade bodies should be going to the government. And they, they're the ones that have real power because they've got a lot of members. Um, but where are they? You know, where's the trade body for aviation? Well, I'll tell you where it is. I've got an aviation company. I'll tell you where it is. They just sat there with their hands out. You know, basically they said, well, if you're going to introduce quarantines, we just need more handouts. Uh, and that was, that was their, uh, you know, that was their retort to it. And then they came up with the threat of the um, uh, judicial review when the quarantines were in introduced. And the government said to them, well, it's not going to last long and your judicial review will be out of time by the, you know, we'll be flying again by then. So don't worry about it. And they said, oh, OK, we believe you. Why? Yeah, these are corporate guys and they're, they're going to have a job, whatever happens. It's not them that's going to lose their job. They'll still get their bonuses. They'll still get their big salary. Company goes bust. They'll just walk into another job. The poor, you know, BA, for example, 12,000 people that have been laid off. They're not going to get another job. You know, aviation is, is finished the way it was. Um, and they're going to be far more streamlined operations now. So, uh, yeah, so I don't you, know. You've got, you've got money in. You're you're exposed to the aviation industry, are you? Yeah, not in the same way though, because we um, we we charter planes out rather than sell seats, which is a is a completely different ball game. It's not that it hasn't hurt; it has a lot, but um, it, not in the same way. Not in the same way, and we've no debt, so that that kind of makes a big difference as well. But yeah, aviation is so, not the only one. The entire hospitality industry, for example. Yes, yes. Just just tell me briefly what why the the aviation industry can't come back from this in, in, in the normal way. Is it because business flights, I, I imagine they're going to be really jeopardized by this. I can't see people going on international business flights again because they've seen they can do it perfectly well on Skype. I mean, on, on Zoom. Yeah, there's, there's partly that. I mean, I don't know how you find it, but for me, Zoom, you probably get you know, 5% of the value of a face-to-face -face meeting. So I think yeah, yeah. You, you won't, you know, you, you'll only do the really necessary ones. But you would imagine if you were taking an international flight, then that probably was a necessary meeting anyway. It just depends on how many, um, uh, you know, how many you say make you go through. It's, I think the the long haul passengers, you know, just 
people going on holiday, they're not going to sit and wear a mask for that whole time. So they'll probably sit, you know, sit at home and, uh, and, and go on holiday, staycations, which will be great for the internal economy, but not so good for, um, for everybody else. Businesses, there's simply going to be less business people. <laughs> that's, that's, mm. you know, so yes. going to be less business, therefore less business people. And, and airlines work, you know, they need to be, it depends, but it's sort of 70% full, 80% full on flights to start making money. Yeah. So if yeah. you don't, it's not a big margin. So if there's few people go, then all of a sudden the flights are losing money and there's no quick way out of aviation. You know, it's enormous capital costs. Um, so then, then that goes down the whole supply chain. Uh, there's a massive amount of um, different suppliers that supply aviation companies, which will all get taken out. So let's say, you know, BA goes bust or something then that's another thousand companies underneath them probably gone bust uh, and on and on it goes. Do you know what? It sounds to me, Simon, like um, you're not recommending that airline shares, even ones that are kind of people have been tipping like, like Delta are a buy right now, even, even at these prices. Is that, well, I think is it's, that what you're thinking? In the, funny enough, I, um, I, I didn't buy myself, funny enough, but I tipped um, American Airlines when they were about, I forget now, $8 or $7 or something like that, on the basis that they're never going to be allowed to get bust. And you know in America that the American government can't take a stake in them. So you knew they were going to be bailed out and it wasn't going to dilute the shareholders. So they were, they were probably a good punt. Um, but in the UK, it'd be different. Anywhere across Europe, they're just going to get nationalized. And I know they say, oh, we don't want to nationalize businesses. You do. You do actually want to nationalize businesses. That's exactly what you want to do. Um, so, uh, no, I wouldn't buy any airline stocks now. Maybe my own, but yes. then I know stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, what you say, I think, is, is, is true, that, that everything is going to be nationalised. I mean, we've got announcement today that the railway, the railways in Britain are going to be semi-nationalised, aren't they? They're going to stop putting out the different franchises out to tender. Um, and I see in the paper again, glancing at the paper, trying to avoid reading it because I, I, it triggers me. But I see that various theatres, theatres are, are demanding to be bailed out. Well, I'd say, look... If we had theatres in this country producing stuff that people wanted to go and see, then I would be I'd, I'd be thinking, yeah, great. You know, we've got to keep the keep the theatres on life support because they're so important for our culture. But it seems to me that the way that I mean, I'll give you an example. I live just down the road from the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford on Avon. I will not go and see any any RSC production ever again because it has now been so gripped by the forces of woke, you know, the diversity casting and ever, you know, people sort of cast not because they're they're the best actor available for the job, but because, you know, because they push the right, you know, because they're transgender or, or, or you know, the, the BME, AME or whatever. And I'm just thinking, why should I pay with my taxes to have this kind of socialistic or worse agenda foisted on me by the artistic establishment. But it seems like COVID-19, I mean, if you had to invent a conspiracy, you would, you would, you would say, would you not, that COVID-19 has been the best way of, it, of bringing in communism across the world imaginable. Yes. And I, and I know probably when we last spoke, I don't know if we did conspiracy theories, but um, I, I, since we last spoke, I've, I've, I've really come to the conclusion that there is something a lot bigger going on. You know, this is not it, it you know, possibly it was a it was a knee jerk reaction at the start. 
but everything I've seen now is pushing me towards no, you've even if you didn't engineer it, and I don't think you did because I don't think they're bright enough. Um, but they've certainly made taken advantage of it, and there's certainly been a decision made that's gone well. You know, we're kind of fucked anyway, so we may just as well hang on to power a bit longer and basically introduce Marxism. You know, and and that that really clicked in. I, I was I was out walking the dogs or something, and it, I couldn't work out. There was a piece of the puzzle that was missing for me, which was why on earth they would close churches. Churches, no one goes, right? And they're big buildings, and they're very well aired. If you've ever been to a church, you know. So why would people not be allowed in? And then I thought, you know what? Churches, schools, entertainment, family, you've been stopped from seeing all these. What have you got left? The only thing you have left to share ideas with is the state. That, that's Marx. You know, that is every totalitarian, totalitarian, oh, totalitarian government in history. Uh, get rid of it, uh, the uh, schools, get rid of any peer, anybody that can give you an alternative view or a different view to the one that's being sponsored. Um, has been got rid of, and even getting rid of religion, you know, the, the solace that people find from that, it's, uh, that, that seems sinister to me, really sinister. I don't disagree with you. It, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that the that part of the country, which seems to be still the majority at the moment, that part of the country which is gripped with this COVID-19 terror, the, the COVID bedwetters, I call them, the people who think that the lock too soon to end the lockdown, they seem to have spent their time religiously watching these these conferences or what, what, what are they where you have different government ministers appearing in association with with members of the sage committee and yeah. holding press conferences I, I i haven't watched a single one i'm proud to say i just I, I why why do you want to be fed propaganda but lots of people seem to have been watching this stuff quite religiously like 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 this is where they get their information yeah uh, you know i think since celebrity big brother got kicked off maybe this is the next thing is some sort of weird reality tv show that they're all living in isn't it? and you know they're now at home they're being paid uh, for paid on furlough up until october um, or if you work in the civil service, you, you, you know, you're getting paid anyway, you know your job's safe. If you work in, anywhere in government, you know, you know your job's safe and you can just work at home. If you're an MP, in fact, you've got a £10,000 bonus for working at home. Um, and so you know, why would it be a bad thing? Why would you want it to end? Which is what fascinates me when it does end, come October, and you know exactly what's going to happen. All these people are out of work. They're going to blame the government. And what are the government going to say? Well, yes, because of COVID, we really ought to help you out a bit more. So maybe we ought to extend yes. benefit, do this or do that. We will make you more and more reliant on us. Yes. Again, so it's, it's, before I move on to, to, to your, that, your answer to that, tell me what your favourite, you know, you're talking about how you're being more inclined towards conspiracy theories. What, what's been particularly bugging you on that line? Is it the vaccine thing or what? Or is it constantly trying to figure out whether Bill Gates is actually some, you know, evil madman or whether I, I, I don't actually think he is. Right. So and maybe I'll change my mind in a few weeks. But I actually think that as a mathematician, let's say, you know, as a guy who likes numbers and, and likes computation, I think he realized that vaccinations probably save more lives around the world than they cost. And I don't think that's a, contra a controversial thing to say. You know, it, it might lead to other things, but generally speaking, they have saved, you know, wiped out some illnesses and they have saved a lot of people, I think. 
So he's put all his money into vaccinations because he thinks that's how he can help the most amount of people for the you know, best return, uh, bang for the buck. So the man as wealthy as he is and the foundation as big as it is, there's no real conspiracy that his name's all over everything to do with vaccinations. He funds everybody in that. So I know it appears as though everything goes back to Bill Gates, but I just think it's the wrong way around. Everything comes from Bill Gates because he funds everything to do with vaccinations. But it's compelling. It's compelling when you look at it. So I, I do, I can see really easily how people can get dragged down into it. But I always, I'm always yeah. a bit of a contract anyway, so I always look for the opposite side. And that was where I came down on it. Uh, you can give me some insights here, Simon, because you're not you're not short of a few bob yourself. I mean, you're not you're obviously not Bill Gates rich, but you're definitely rich enough, I'd say, not to need to work again unless you, you know, you, you wanted to. Um, so tell me, when you get to th that level of richness, why why do you why do people still want more? I mean, why 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 does Bill Gates want to get richer? Why doesn't he just kind of settle back and just you know kick his heels and I don't know watch Netflix? Um, because past the, past the number, like you say, when you know that you don't have to earn any more money, you have a choice. Yeah. And I, I always liken it to, you know, you imagine a footballer and he loves playing football and he's won the World Cup and he's won the FA Cup and he's done this. So why would he ever want to play football again? Because he loves playing football. He's going to be gutted when he gets to 35 and has to retire. You know, that isn't, yeah. it, it's not a nice thing for him. And I think it's the same with business people. You know, I really love doing business. It's not a question of the money. The money, of course, is the equivalent of goals in football. You know, the, the, yes. the, the money is the score. So I guess that's, uh, that's what drives, that drives people. And it, I mean, it's all you know as well. So uh, I get that drive. I do. I think he's gone wrong. I, I think the whole altruist thing is, uh, is terrible. But that's a completely a, another discussion for another day, I think. You know, what we've got to talk about we've got to talk about one of your particular concerns, which is this issue of the new regulate uh, regulations regarding insolvency. You're very worried about this, about the government sort of making it harder to be declared bank insolvent for the, for the duration oh. of the lockdown. Uh, well, when you say harder, you mean impossible. You, so yeah, companies right. cannot cannot be insolvent. And it's not for the dura duration of the lockdown. It's for ever so th th this has what? not an end date legislation uh, they're changing oh the insolvency rules what they are saying is 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 that if the you know, potential insolvency if the business upset was caused by covid then you fall under these new rules but of course it doesn't take much imagination to see that anything that happens in business for the next 10 years is going to be down to covid isn't it you know in 2020 we had that which caused this which you know when that and that is, you know, in and of itself, that's quite a worrying thing because, uh, you know, the, at the top of an insolvency, you've got a company that can't afford to pay its debts. Underneath all that, you've got the poor sods who are owed money, you know, the creditors. And before this bill, and I don't think it's not become law yet, but it will, of course, you, the creditors had a say over how the company was then managed, how the, the money that was left in the company was then managed. So the creditors would be able to vote on a repayment plan. So let's say um, a BA, just because I've got it written down. But let's say BA go bust uh, or go, go on to insolvency. Um, and then um, the, all the creditors say, well, okay, then we want 60p in the pound or whatever. 
If 75% of the creditors agree to that, then that would go through and they'd get their 60p in the pound over a period of time. Um, now, with these new rules, even if 75% of the creditors don't agree, BA or whoever can just go to court and then the court decides what's best for the company. Not for the creditors who have been working for nothing or will be working for nothing. So that's pretty bad. You know, you're taking the decision away from the people who have actually lent it money or have put goods into the business or put services into the business. You take that away and give that to a court. The really scary thing, which I couldn't actually believe when someone pointed it out to me, was that during this period, it's called um, like a moratorium, I think they're calling it, when you're not allowed to sue them. Suppliers are compelled to continue supplying to the company that's in trouble. Compelled? Yeah, you see, look on your face then. You can't believe it either. And it's absolutely true. They are literally compelled to do it. You can't. And they, they have to supply goods or services on the basis of which they've already supplied them. So let's say that I have a contract with um, BA and we have to supply them, you know, let, let's say five planes a day for the next six months. And then all of a sudden they don't pay us and say we're in this moratorium. We'll have to continue supplying them the planes on whatever credit terms we originally agreed. In aviation, typically with a big company, they'll screw you on credit terms as much as they can. So that might be, they might not pay for 60 days. So we would then have to supply them for 60 days, knowing full well that probably you ain't going to get paid at the end of it. So what do I do? I then kick the ball down to my people I owe money to and say, well, I'm going to go insolvent yeah. now as well. So we'll do the same thing. And on and on and on it goes until it gets to the small company who are exempted from these regulations. So they don't have to supply. No, no, I don't believe but, it. It, it, The only thing this will do is kick the ball down the road for a month or two months and take more people out of the equation. Now, why would anyone in their right mind do that? Well, they would probably do it if they didn't want the numbers to look absolutely dreadful as soon as they came out of lockdown. So what this will do is, is it will flatten the curve of insolvencies, if you like. Um, So the insolvency will be more measured rather than a huge spike. And that, for me, is the only... Unless they are, the people who do this are absolutely commercially retarded. There's, there's no other reason that, the, that, that this could um, come up. It is a, or it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's uh, in terms of legislation. It just really is. It's, yeah, shocking, actually. Do you know who invented this, who proposed this, this bill? Uh, no, I don't, actually. That's a good question. Um, I don't. It it does strike me as bizarre that, that, that do they not have people you know with calculators or people with business experience or whatever to say I've got this I've got this idea that we we can reduce insolvencies. Can you should we just blue sky think this scenario and just you know run it around the the team and see whether <laughs> whether there might be any pitfalls in this. How does how does it go from idea to bill to act of parliament, whatever, I, without without scrutiny? Well, it goes through very quickly because it's a national emergency, doesn't it? Someone comes up with the idea. Yeah. They have their, you know, their sage equivalent of economic people who go, you can't do that. Oh. That's a terrible idea. And they go, thank you very much for your input. I'm doing it anyway. Um, and then they go ahead and do it and it will get rushed through because it's emergency measures. Um, and that'll be that. And then it's on statute. 
And you know what they say, you know, the, the, the closest thing in life to, uh, um, well, the closest thing on earth to eternal life is a temporary government program. And this will be it. It'll yes. be forever. Um, and that will mean, also, they're doing away with uh, wrongful trading. So if you trade knowingly insolvent, uh, the directors can be done personally. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. So you can be know that you're insolvent. You can take a whole load of credit from people, um, even though you know you're not going to be able to pay them and you can't get done for it. When does this legislation go through? I don't know. I think it's going through the Lords at the moment. But I've not heard a blip about it. I was amazed. I've not read so, anything in the uh, papers about it. But are you are you pursuing them on this? Are you, are you JRing it or whatever or, or what? Uh, no, because it's only a bill at the moment. So it's not law. So you can't really do anything about it. It would be up to politicians to go, no, this is a terrible idea. You really need to rethink this. Maybe the Lords will knock it back. But let's face it, no one's there. You know, has nobody? Has nobody? I mean, you, you've become quite a thing. I mean, I know, I know you're in in Monaco um, with your guitars, with your, your guitar collection. In the door door at the moment. We've moved out to the countryside. So. <laughs> have you? How? Yeah. And how is it in the door door? It's hot. It's about thirty two at the moment, but uh, but beautiful. And it's a nice. Uh, we've got a big big place here, so it's really lovely to have the space and stretch out. I, I mean, what I meant was compare and contrast the, the lockdown with here. And I know the French were quite strict. Have they, have they relaxed it now? Yeah, Macron basically said, um, oh, fuck it. That's it. We're all done. I'm not having any more restrictions anymore and we're never doing this again. You know, as much as I can't bear Macron, I think he's an awful human being. He was strong on the way in, actually. He made it quite clear what was going to be done and he's been strong on the way out. And he actually said, that's it, we're not doing it again. So everything's fine. You know, there's no, it's normal life. It's funny, isn't it, that that, that these topsy-turvy times have, have had a very strange effect on who one thinks is okay and who one thinks is bloody awful. So we went into this thinking, Boris Johnson, he's great. He's just like a character. And and of course, he's much better than Jeremy Corbyn. And and now we, we've, we've realised, actually, Corbyn would have been no worse. He really wouldn't have been. And in the same way, we went into this thinking... Little, little tosser, tosser character, Macron. He's so annoying. He's, you know, he's, he's like, he's like those Frenchmen in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know, sort of uh, your mother yeah. spares of elderberries, yeah, and all that. Oh, yeah, typical bloody annoying Frenchman. And now we think Macron, he's kind of, he's kind of our guy, <laughs> despite everything. It's, yeah, he, he went for it. I mean, he, he tried to, you know, draw France back a little bit from you know, essentially far left. He tried that by suggesting that they might increase the pension age by a year. And, uh, and of course, they rioted over that. That was what the whole gilet jaune, the yellow vest thing was all about. So they rioted for a year about that. And I think then when the COVID thing came in, he realised that he was never going to change France. He was never going to take them to the right, um, even in a small measure. So he said, well, OK, then. I'll, I'll just take power by taking you to the left. So just give all that money away. Here, they've got a furlough scheme for two years and everything's basically nationalised, all people work for the government anyway. So it's essentially full-on full on socialism there. So I, I asked you this before because I think it's kind of key. Um, where do we where do we escape to? Where's going <laughs> to... When all this is over, because, I mean, we, we haven't even talked about the, the Black Lives Matter bollocks yet. But where is going to be sort of relatively normal? Who, who's handled this well? I mean, you know, we don't want to go to Sweden, do we? You know, no. grenade attacks in Malmo. 
Very... Where, where is that? It, I've thought about this a lot, and I think England is still, you know, a pretty good place to live. Probably one of the, one of the best places to live in Europe, certainly. And then, you know, you're never going to go and live in India. You're never going to go and live in the Middle East. Well, this I'm talking personally, but um, no. China. You know, there's whole swathes of continents that you would never, ever go to. So there's not actually that much choice, depending on what you want to do. You know, for me, I, I, I like commercial life, so there needs to be some opportunity there. Um, I, I think the country that will come out of this best, and of course, that's, you know, that's a really relative term. That's kind of hardest working Frenchman, isn't it? But the, the, the country yeah. I think that will come out best will be the, uh, will be the US, simply because they're self-sufficient. Um, and I think with China closing down, all the manufacturing jobs are going to come back into the US. So I don't think the unemployment will be such an issue. In Trump, you have a capitalist, whatever you might think of it. Um, so they're not going to go down the socialist route. The money that they put into the economy to businesses was in the form of grant rather than loans. And everybody was just given the money rather than loaned the money. So you're not going to have some enormous debt bubble coming up. So assuming Trump wins by a landslide, and, and I, I can't imagine anything other than that happening. Um, we've yeah. got, you know, another what now, five, four and a half, five years of, of that, um, yeah. whatever that may bring. But it will certainly, and you imagine, I mean, we were talking about Corbyn earlier, but you imagine you had Clinton in. Now America would be some... Uh, it, you know, it would have been handled so differently. They would have all it still been just bear thinking about. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Um, so yeah, America, I think will will come out of this best. Um, how best it, that is, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, even even with a a red meat kind of conservative in in the white in the Oval Office at the moment, even then. We've still got America slightly enthralled to this very dodgy geezer, Anthony Fauci, and the whole kind of big pharma deep state, as it were. There's always one character, isn't there? There's always one character. In every country, there's always the, you know, the kind of evil villain guy. And you don't know whether he's a good guy or he's an evil guy. Funnily enough, they always look evil. Um, but you never know quite sure whether they're fighting for the people or not. But I, I now... The science is pretty much settled. This thing isn't that bad. It's not that infectious. Uh, it's not going to kill most people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no worse than a, than a seasonal flu, a bad seasonal flu. So why is everybody still in a flap about it? You know, it, it, we had bloody riots and everything and people going down the beaches. You know, lots of people congregating for all sorts of different reasons. Two, three, four weeks ago, there's no second wave. There's no loads of people getting it. You know, there's a few spikes in America now because everything's got back. Yeah, pretty much the normal, but it will. People have been locked up, so when they go and mingle again, they're going to catch colds and stuff. Um, so yeah, they're so, all. Do, do you have a theory on why, given what you just said, I mean, given given that it's obvious to anyone who is capable of reading an article on Toby Young's lockdown skeptics, anyone who's who's heard a conversation with Dr. John Lee or or um and the other people who've, who've spoken out against this stuff. I mean, the evidence is there now. It's clear that this is no worse than than bad seasonal flu, which is bad, but not but not worth shutting down the economy for. Why do you think that Boris Johnson and co are still pretending that it's that this is really bad? Because they're weak. Uh, that's all. That's the only thing I can really think, unless they are 
you know, really evil and or really intent on bringing Marxism into um, the UK, which I really don't believe. I think they're just weak. They cannot possibly admit that they made a mistake. And if you can't admit that you've made a mistake, then you have to make it appear as though there's some really scientific reasons for why we're coming out. And I think that's why you get the whole two-meter bollocks and one meter and this and that and the other. Because, you know, if you say, like Macron did, well, you know, yesterday, we had a home at the, uh, the beach just outside. One day you weren't allowed on the beach, and the next day the beach was packed. Well, what happened in that two minutes at midnight that enabled everybody all of a sudden to be safe? Well, of course, nothing happened. It just had to be some arbitrary deadline. I think people would recognize that. Um, but this constant, well, we have to be really vigilant and second wave and this and that and the other, is just, it, it makes it worse. It's, it's taking the sticking plaster off uh, more slowly, isn't it? Rather than just going, ah, oh, that's it. All right, we're done. We made a mistake. We probably hung on a bit too long. And you know what? I think he would, he would have so much, or he would have had um, so much respect if he'd have actually done that. You know, guys, it would have been so easy. We listened to the scientists. Actually, we probably overreacted. The great news is, thank you ever so much. We did save the NHS. Maybe we saved some lives, but now we can crack on. You know, everybody go back. You're really safe. It's okay. If you're really old and poorly, stay inside. That's all you needed to say. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're right. Uh, have you got, finally, have you got anything else up your sleeve? I mean... I want you to get medieval on this administration's ass, Simon. I really do. I think we need you to to really well. And I don't, I don't want to get too too graphic here, but there are things I'd like you to do to the government which are undescribable on a family <laughs> a family podcast. <laughs> can, can you? Are you going to do these things? Are you going to please me by doing these things? Well, we we could maybe do a late night podcast one day, but um, yeah, I I do think. Win, win, lose, draw on, on on the judicial review. I think we've we've had a lot of wins as we've gone along, so I think that's been pretty good. I would be very surprised if Hancock keeps his job. Uh, Williamson, I think they've been particularly poor. Um, Boris, does he really want to keep his job? Uh, you know, I, I actually think if they lost the judicial review, it probably suit them quite well. You know, they'd all make an excuse to go a bit like Theresa May, really. You know, just oh well, bollocks, then I won't do it anymore. Um, but no, I, that would be good. I honestly. Believe I honestly believe there's a case for misfeasance in public office. I really do. I really do. Because the evidence is so strong that what they've done is has been wrong. Um, and, you know, it's a high bar. And, and Boris has been up for it once before um, over something quite minor. And he never got yeah, yeah. If you type in, uh, you know, Boris Johnson misfeasance or something like that, it pops up. Um, I mean, he never actually got criminally charged with it, but it, it, it did go away. Um, way. So I, I really do think that's an avenue to explore, um, and I, I don't think I don't think many people would argue, to be honest with you. And that well, carries yeah, a life uh, Misfeasance in public office carries a life sentence. Would you believe? Does it really? Well, he wouldn't get his end away, would he, anymore? If he was in, if banged up in a maximum security prison, well, well, he might get his end away, but just, <laughs> just, just <laughs> not. <laughs> not in the way he'd like. I mean, I don't want him to go to prison, and yet at the same time, he really has destroyed the country. Just, I, I, I mean, we, we're not even there yet, are we? We're not even there in the world of pain. That, that's to come, October, you reckon? Well, what's really annoying is, is, is that he won't be around in public life, I don't think, when the shit really is there. 
you know, it was a bit like when Labour bankrupted the country and left that little note, you know, sorry, the money's run out, that, that kind of thing. They know that they're not going to be here when the real nasty stuff happens. Um, so, yeah, that annoys me. And I think that the whole reason I got into this in the first place was thinking to myself one day, how the hell do you bring these people to account? They're doing such a poor job. And democracy actually is really flawed because they're in and then you can't get them out. Literally, there is nothing you can do to get them out. And that was really where the whole judicial review thing came from. You know, you could see an avenue of actually making them stand up and justify themselves. And evidently, they, they haven't. You know, they, they've done things very poorly. So the next step, I guess, um, after the judicial review is a misfeasance thing. And I, I must admit, I've not explored it any more than, you know, simple Google search. But you would you would consider that? Oh, for sure. If, if I went if I went to the lawyers and they said there's a case, I'd be all over it. Yeah. And I would crowdfund yeah. it and we would get we, we would get thousands of people, I think, absolutely thousands of people. And the other thing I want to do is, is to start trying to repair some of the damage to the businesses. You know, these people have been forced to take loans out. Uh, I, I, that's a protection racket to me. You know, you can't trade, but here's a loan. Uh, OK, the interest rate is low, but you still got to pay it back. So uh, I, I want to start doing something on that. And that will depend so on just. Now, depending on I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of this. T tell me, tell me what, what the deal is here. Well, I, I believe that if we win the judicial review, that will turn out yeah. that everything the government's done is illegal. If what the government yeah. done is illegal, if you've been forced, if you've illegally closed someone's business down, but you forced them to take a loan out from you, i.e. the government, um, yes. and you have to pay that loan, there must be some claim that you can make to have that loan waived. So that, that's that's what I'll be exploring as well. I think the whole, uh, you know, I've set this thing up, Keep Britain Free, um, which, which has got a huge amount of support, actually, because uh, like the lockdown is one thing, but it is a, it, it was kind of, um, what's the word for it? Yeah. Um, it, kind of, it was kind of the pinnacle of the way everything was going, you know, a, a more and more, more and more of a nanny state more and more trying to interfere in everything you do, more and more regulations, more and more restrictions on free speech and so on. And this just accelerated it probably by five years or, you know, maybe maybe a bit longer. So um, I see the way out of this is getting enough people to see what's actually happened, i.e. you've been locked up, you're told who you can see, where you can go, who you can have sex with, what you can see, what you can read, what you can think. How did we get here? You know, we need to fight back against this. Otherwise, the next step is a really dark place. So, yeah, there's lots to do, lots of work to do. Yeah, that's a good, a good place to end. Can I just say to anyone who's enjoyed this podcast, uh, as of course you have, uh, don't forget to support me on Patreon or on Subscribestar, because some people say, I won't support Patreon because they're way too woke. Well, fine, you've now got an alternative. Um, thank you, Simon. That's really good. I, I'm glad that some people out there are fighting the good fight because we are few and they are many. You yeah. think so? I actually think we're the many. I think we're the many. I just think there's not enough people that are actually speaking up. I really do. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, I hope so as well. All right, well, good luck, mate, and enjoy the sun in the uh, the Dordogne. Lucky you. Thank you very much. All right. See you soon, mate. Okay. Bye. See you, James. <laughs>